Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. And there's a number of ways I could go with this, but I'll just say for the sake of this show, he's not here to get hurt. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Well done. Well done. We had a birthday I, recently. I know. Isn't it nice? Was it six that? years? Six years. Six years. It's what, you know, sometimes it's a good thing about my life, I guess, is like, you know, sometimes I complain about things being hectic and a lot <laughs> happening. And if, if there's no drama in my life, I'll do something to create some drama <laughs> to make it feel like something's happening. And as a result, like time doesn't fly for me. You know, yeah. six years ago, especially in this instance, feels like six fucking years ago. <laughs> it feels maybe even longer. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's well, definitely good. Well, we'll get into all of that in just a little bit. But, dude, what's up? How's it been going? It's been a week. Anything you know what new I saw in... out there? What's up? Yeah, I got something to talk about. All right. You know, one of my big things is like brunch shirts. Brunch you know? shirts? Yeah. Like, like people who wear shirts that say like, yoga mimosas and chill oh yeah you know like the sunday brunch shirts (laughs) and i've noticed already that people are jumping on like quarantine brunch and i've seen a couple uh a couple v-necks already (laughs) not not v-neck i guess like a tank top saying like quarantine queen and things like that that's me so (laughs) Is that you? Do you have one? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just saying the quarantine queen part. Anyway, continue. I'll never understand. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, here, you can help me out, Denny, yeah. okay? Help, help me try to understand white people. So, okay, I mean, I feel what's like... going on with, like, <laughs> what do you have to wear on your shirt to, like, identify yourself to the world? Like, like isn't going to brunch enough? what is the deal with like having to brand yourself to like everyone you see being like, this is exactly what I do. I'm like yoga brunch, you know, inward meditation lady. And that's me. And I wear it on my shirt and I could be nothing else. Does that make people feel good? I want to flip this on its head. Why are we villainizing eating pancakes? You know, in any other context, if we don't call it brunch, Right. If we just call it breakfast or lunch, it's fine. But the moment you put brunch in there, it gets pretentious. But in terms of the in terms of the fit, as they say, Benny, it's 2020. It's all about the fit. Right. That's what that (laughs) that's what these people tell me. So I guess, you you know, if you're a person out there looking for your own identity in the world, I guess you can find it on a twenty dollar T-shirt. Yeah. All right, man. I hope it's doing something for someone out there. But all it does, I mean, listen, if you're making fun of something, you're insecure about something. <laughs> so maybe I'm, I'm insecure about the freedom these people possess to, to go to brunch. Listen, you're not going to listen to me talk shit about pancakes. You know? <laughs> I've been eating breakfast for almost 40 years, Denny. I'm, I'm on borderline Ron Swanson. Oh, look at, oh. You could put eggs in front of me three meals a day for the rest of my life, and I'll be fine. So I'm a breakfast man, but I just want to, I want to go to the diner at 10. (laughs) I don't want to go to the cafe at two, you know? Oh, Benny, there's no problem in the world that can't be solved with breakfast food. Lesson no. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into this damn music history. So this one is fun. On this day in 1977, the police 
and this is fun. We're talking about music. We're not talking about real life. Yeah. <laughs> because that would be a terrible way to intro the show. <laughs> Uh, in 1977, the first time the police play as a mighty triumvirate, wow. as the uh, the trio that exists even today, and they played at a small club called Rebecca's in Birmingham. This is England, not Alabama. Oh, I guess I should say Birmingham. <laughs> and uh, I chose this one because for a band I quite like, and one who are so famous for being a trio, I never knew they were a foursome. So when I read this, I thought it was very interesting to dig into. It turns out Sting, a.k.a. Gordon Summer, which is one of the hilarious (laughs) nicknames in the world, and Stuart Copeland, you know, met in the mid-70s working in in prog rock and jazz fusion and that kind of music. And they met, they started playing together, but the Sex Pistols and all these punk bands in England were signing record deals. So that's why the police decided to try to play punk. These weren't born punks. I didn't realize this either. This kind of belittles the police uh, uh, phoenix rising story, as it were. (laughs) It's it's not as cool as I once thought it was. Um, So they even were quoted as saying that they're going to try their hand at punk and even noting that they were overqualified as musicians, which just... Gives me a yucky kind of feeling. <laughs> so they brought in a guy named Henry Padovane, who was part of the punk scene and started to open for Johnny Thunders and Cherry Vanilla. And he was an actual, like, real punk, apparently. And the two discovered his musical limitations as a result. So then they played with one of Andy Summers' bands called Strontium 90. And they liked him. He was 10 years older. He had played with Eric Burden and the Animals and had some of this acumen going into it so sting asked him to be in the band and he said that he would do it as long as they stayed a trio and kicked the other guy out very racy request from andy summers right off and uh sting sting and and uh stewart copeland refused at first out of um some loyalty to henry potavane and they tried to play as a four-piece so the police once played as a four-piece Uh, quickly, tensions started mounting, and particularly between Padovane and Andy Summers, and he left the band. And today, in 1977, is when they played their first show as this version of The Police. So I never knew they were a four-piece. And then it leads to that classic tale, what happened to Henry Padovane, the guy who left the police right before they broke for stardom, you know, like the Fifth Beatle or... Uh, Dave Mustaine and Metallica, you know, mm. one of those scenarios. So it turns out he did pretty good. He did pretty well in life. Wow. He, uh, he went on to play in, in the band Wayne County. He played in cool bands through the 80s, wound up in the music business, heading the international division of IRS Records through the 90s. He's still alive and he's active scoring and managing. So it worked out. And the one thing we got to give credit to this guy, apparently Sting credits him with being police's entrance into punk and into the punk world, not only the sound, but I guess this guy uh, had some juice. And around the London scene, he had some respect, and it kind of was able to put the police into a scene that they wanted to be in. And apparently, uh, he would be the last man standing at any pub in London. (laughs) So, you know, even though his his musical effects might have left the police in 1977, I think 
people maybe devalue sometimes what what uh what the spirit of somebody in the band brings and the worlds that it connects them to to get them started it's not all about talent and sometimes you need a world to grow in so i think uh if you're going to give this guy credit for anything you got to give him credit for that Benny, as someone that, you know, like I go to concerts, I'm not in the world like you are. You brought up a like, I guess, like a proper punk and someone that kind of fakes it. I've always kind of wondered this. How do you delineate between the two? Like, I'm not going to pretend to be all like all like hardcore and punk like that. I mean, like you've seen me like, you know, that's obviously not the case. But I like music. But for the people that do pretend, where is the delineation between the two? I mean, it's a weird delineation because if somebody really is a proper punk who's living it and breathing it with the ethics and the values, you probably never heard of them, man. You know, and that's part of it. Like most of these famous punk musicians are the people who figured out punk meets capitalism. (laughs) And the ones who didn't are like Sid Vicious, the Mm. ones who were so real that they couldn't even begin to exist in that kind of world and put on the smiles they'd have to, you know, like how much fucking stuff, like like Billy Joe Armstrong has had to do, you know what I mean? That is not punk anymore. And that if you took the 16 year old version of him, I'm sure he'd say, fuck this and fuck that. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. And so, so the, the idea of like delineating a real punk in that regard, you know, a, it's not for someone else to really determine and B, (laughs) you probably never heard of them if they were real anyway, but that's where I think, the definition of punk comes into play. And to me, there's like an ethic and a standard that a punk keeps, even as you try to exist in the real world, I had to come to grips with the fact that like the real world didn't meet my punk and hardcore values at some point. And then if I wanted to do certain things, I was going to have to play certain games and sell out like a little bit. Um, But I think the way you see it is how people carry out their careers in the long run. Mm. You know, um, you're not a sellout if you keep writing the same things over and over and over again for years. And then people just start to like it. Yeah. That's just you being consistent and people jumping on and you're not changing to be that. So I could call some of these artists, I could call Neil Young kind of punk. You know what I mean? I could call, Radiohead kind of punk for mm. some of the decisions they decide to make and the way they conduct business in their bands. Um, so I think a lot of it goes down to that. Mm. And uh, as the years go on and you watch people make decisions, if you're a big fan of a band or if you're in the media, I think you can start to see a series of decisions in sequential long enough that you can understand what people's values are. Benny, my this day in music history, I'm going to keep it New Jersey. You know, whenever there's a New Jersey headline, I try to keep it with this. On this day in 1986. Oh, I know this one already. I'm already air drumming. Oh, here we go. Slippery yeah. When Wet came out. Oh, there we go. Launched two number one singles yeah. and the the career of Bon Jovi into superstardom. Benny, Talking about punk rock. <laughs> Benny, this Wait, is a big mind. record for me. This is like the first record I like ever bought on like vinyl and stuff yeah. like that. Seeing John and Richie and doing the whole thing at like Giant Stadium. It was magical. It was like magic yeah. on, on, on Earth the first time you, you ever see like a, a, a big stadium show like that. So big record for me. Slippery One Wet on this day in 1986. It took me a while to reconcile how much I love this record, (laughs) you know, because I spent like a decade 
you know, glossing off Bon Jovi. You know, I had to. I was, I was. Let's let's get back into the, you know, the um, good meaning but ill-fated attempts of the young punk rocker. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I, I, you know, when you brush it back, I probably know the lyrics from beginning to end to like six <laughs> songs on earth. Like I'm really not good at that. And two of them are on this record. <laughs> I mean, they are classic. Yeah. And you can literally. You've seen viral videos of it. You can sing Living on a Prayer anywhere yeah. at any point in the world and everybody will just start singing along. Yeah. It's like absolutely undeniable. And every single person will try to sing along and miss the high note, <laughs> which is a fun part about this song. I've e- seen it a million times. Even John himself at this point. Yeah, you see that mic when he does it now? About he like holds it away up. from his face. Yeah, there's no way he's going near that one anymore. I mean, that guy looks great though. He's does he? Does he? Uh, for his age, he's pretty fit. He's yeah, not. I mean, he's he's long, not over sixty, right? He's gotta be. Because I gotta long, say, like long mane of hair. He was looking ridiculous for like. The entire time he's been famous, and then he, he he went gray, and it was over. It was over. The complete illusion of a, a man holding court in the middle of a thunderstorm at Giant Stadium completely went out the window. I was like, age comes for us all, and it's come for John Bon Jovi in a real way. <laughs> Boy, I didn't think I, I, I'd, I'd go there with this, but apparently here we are. Got four kids, <laughs> born in 1962. Damn, so, so it's coming up. He's, yeah, he's, he's in his very late 50s. Oh, he's wow, almost there, wow, man. Wow. He's almost there. And to some people, right, who don't know, we'll give you a little insider information in New Jersey. He runs a restaurant yeah. or owns a restaurant in Red Bank, New Jersey, that will serve anyone who comes mm-hmm. in. It's, it's like the equivalent of almost like a, a classy soup, soup kitchen, yeah, I suppose, because yeah, yeah. you can go in there and get whatever you want. You pay. It's a great concept. And it's been functioning for a long time, and it's a, a very useful concept. So, and doesn't he own like what fucking lacrosse team, soccer team? Like guys all over the place. And John Bond now Rose boy. How about that? You let yeah. me. You gave me enough rope to hang myself there, where I was like, oh, he's washed up. He doesn't look good anymore. And you're like, but he runs a soup kitchen. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're done. <laughs> Kissed it into the ground. Talk about I'll selling you, out. <laughs> and I'll tell you off wax. I'm not going to say it on here, but I'll tell you all about the time that I had a meeting with a merch company at the keyboard from Bon John from John Bon Jovi's house. Oh, I think they're located yeah. down the shore. I think I've been oh. there. My goodness, I was uncomfortable. I'll tell you that story. All right, I want to add one more into the music. Yeah, of course. Go go for it. I don't have too much to say about it, but it was a big thing for me. In 1992, Kurt and Courtney Mm. had Francis Bean. Now, like, that was like a huge thing for people my age. They're like, oh my God, Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain had a kid. And like, to us, this person was going to be like, the torchbearer of rock and roll for like the next generation. Like that's the way we saw Kurt Cobain at that time. And Francis Bean's now an adult, an adult doing very cool shit. The documentary was awesome. Seems to carry herself with a lot of respect and seems to really know what's going on in the world. So I got a lot of love for that person. And when I wrote this down, I wrote Kurt with a C and Courtney with a K, Mm. which I imagine 
that's exactly the way they want me to do it, man. Oh, you know? look at this. Look at this. I love everything about this episode thus far. Well, Benny, you know, I brought up a one New Jersey band releasing an album, but I want to transition to, you know, another band you may be a little familiar with. Uh, Maybe a couple less units. <laughs> a couple less units moves. Oh, who cares about units? It's all digital now. <laughs> we we missed it on this show, but on August 12th, 2014 had had to do the quick math there. I was like, oh my god, what's 20 <laughs> minus six? Um, get hurt came out. Benny, a lot of people have written about this, talked about this, but kind of just talk about the boy. I I went with the sports writer cliche. Talk about your performance in last night's game. No, but talk about how this album kind of came to be and the kind of felt like you in you guys were in like a tough place writing this and then producing this record. Yeah. So I mean. First, I just want to put it out there, just because I know this is like the hotly contested one in yeah. the in the small gaslight. I love it, you know? though. For the record, and I love I, it. Yeah, listen, I said it then, and I'll say it now. I think the record's good. And even when it came out, I thought it was going to age well as time went on. And I knew we needed to be prepared for like some backlash. Mm. And it wasn't only because it was the furthest out we decided to go sonically and with certain songs, but kind of because it was our turn, you know, like, like there's, there's arcs to this whole thing and mm -hmm. there's waves. And we did our fifth album in eight years and not really much like negativity came to us on the way there. Like it was sort of a, a you know, a, a steady ascent where even the people who didn't like us, respected it enough to not tarnish it you know what i mean even mm. a pitchfork would be like yeah for this kind of music it's good mm. you know what i mean they wouldn't like you but like they would at least like give you the blessing that you didn't totally fucking suck um and i kind of like had a sense you know even before that that it was coming because nothing stays that pure forever and it has to it has to get hit it has to get chopped down and it has to, you know, recover from that. So I was sort of, you know, expecting everything that came uh, uh, from critically and uh, media wise or whatever. Like that stuff didn't surprise me at all. So what would say if that record was coming out in 2020? Because, you know, records always kind of embody the time that they're coming out. I feel like in the time of music, that was very much kind of the sound how would it be different if it came out in 2020? Oh, I don't know. Yeah? It's hard to say, man. Yeah. yeah. Maybe half of my drums would be programmed. <laughs> you know, we were going digital? for... Yeah, a little more synthy and digital. Like, I'd have been like, hey, if you want it to sound like that, let me just... Boop, 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 boop. So, I love it. That's yeah, fun. maybe six years from now, I would have gotten the can. Oh, I can't wait. Well, <laughs> hopefully we get one more Gasly record. But just before we move on from this and get into Dollar Slice, what's your favorite song on the record? Mm. I know that's hard. It's like picking a kid, blah, 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 yeah, blah. It's, you know, I, I would say like straight up off the record, it would be Straight Paper. Yeah. I quite like that song. I think it's really cool and unique. But the song Underneath the Ground grew a lot with me as the years went on and that that song turned into something live that it didn't on the record that i really appreciated yeah. and i i don't know if you noticed like i wouldn't let one of those gaslight shows in the last few years happen without that song on it because 
I just thought it, it captured like a great vibe and we attempted to do something a little off that actually worked. It was so almost like that Purple Rain thing, kind of, right? Like when, when, when Prince would pay, play Purple Rain and like a stillness would kind of come down o- over the crowd, but it was still raucous. I swear that happened because I, I went enough of those shows to know. I mean, listen, I'll let you make the comparisons to Purple Rain. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Just in the sense of the stillness. It was definitely I appreciate there. it. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some more of those. But yeah, but in the end, I, you know, I don't want it to come off negative. I just want it to seem honest. But I love yeah. this record. Yeah, me too. I really do. Um, the songs on it mean a lot to me. I think Ryan did a lot of really fucking cool things lyrically that he hadn't done before. He did a lot of interesting things sound-wise that we hadn't done before. And I think it would be a mistake for people to imagine that it was like the quality of this album that led to us having a hiatus. I really don't think that's the case. I think the record was good and the timing just worked out that way. Yeah, as a fan, it was really cool to see, you know, like a song like Mama's Boys and then like see that end up being like a precursor to what Brian did on like the the solo stuff. So that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, and if people, I mean, that's, you know, and if people have issues with the production and stuff like that, I think that's a cool A-B that somebody can do is that Mama's Boys, Sweet Morphine, and Halloween were all recorded separately at the Magic Shop in New York, Mm. actually not long before they closed. And they were done live takes, um, no edits, really, so, like, those three tracks compared to the rest of the album, you know, probably really show where the band was at naturally. Um, and you can hear, as you said, like, kind of the direction that some things were going for us and kept going for Brian. Yeah, I think that's a good point. All right, Benny, we've reached about the halfway point of the podcast, which means it's time for our Dollar Slice Takes. I got a good one. Yeah. All right, so the whole concern right now is airflow, right? Yeah. Like, you don't want to be in a place with dead air. I get it. Yeah, I get mosquito bites a lot. I understand. You want to keep things circulating. So what's going on with a neck fan? Mm. Right? We get little clip-on neck fans. You got to make them obviously light enough, maybe a little stand on your shoulder. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to sit, but just the constant light airflow going to your nose and mouth and and the title's already in there neck fans you know you don't even have to do anything uh funny to it it's almost like like the first thing i do when i get on an airplane right is i fucking crank i crank the airflow and i shoot it right on my face yeah it even annoys people i'm around and i'm like listen i don't know you i don't know where you've been you seem like a very nice person but Listen, this airflow is going to be going in front of my nose and mouth for the next eight hours. I could give a shit. So the neck fan provides the same kind of thing for me, that you could be in an inside room and still circulating in front of your mouth where you're apparently most uh, subject to getting a little a little COVID. Huh. Well, Benny, by the way, this past weekend, I was in a hotel, right? Uh-huh. And they are wrapping everything. They are wrapping the TV remote. In ah, plastics, everything's wrapped in plastic. It's so crazy, which low key kind of leads me to my dollar slice take for, for this week. Now you talked about airflow, air circulation. 
You know how back in the day they... I'm not sure if, if this is like a rumor, but allegedly put fluoride in the water, right? For yeah. public health. No, well, they did it. It's okay. still in the water. Okay, yeah. cool. Shows you how much I care about my water bill, all that stuff. Because you never know, so I just want to sprinkle a little allegedly over everything that that could or could not be a conspiracy theory. Because honestly, that sounds crazy. But my dollar slice take. So, you know those like... If you're in one of these essential oil stores, they have those misting pots, right? Yeah, yeah. I think in air conditioning and heating uh, in every public building in this time of high stress, just put that little like oil mist that it spurts out in so that people can have a more relaxed day in these uncertain times. I think, I think, you know, this is one of those times that I think we turned dollar slice into like $20. <laughs> both good ideas this yeah, week. Exactly. Oh we got to make them crazier. This is, it wasn't crazy enough. Now some motherfucker is going to make the neck fan and make millions. Oh, man. But I just gave it to him. It's I got to make these more ridiculous. Oh, I man. I make these more ridiculous. Well, Benny, speaking of making millions, let's talk about the NBA and professional speaking sports. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. By, and I'm going to try to, we're going to try to make this segment real quick because Benny's got a, a Nets game to go watch, even though they're playing the Raptors and good luck with that. But Benny, I just want to run down each and every matchup yeah, or at least please. our favorite matchups please, please. Uh, in the first round. Let's start in the Eastern Conference and let's first start with your Raptors. Ah, oh, wow, your Raptors. Goodness gracious. I think we got Paul Jones on the podcast. Your Nets and the Raptors. Well, you know I'm pro-Raptor in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. I was joking with my friend Eric this week that we think Fred Van Fleet is definitely uh, a backpack graffiti artist. <laughs> I think he definitely has like a couple magnums in his backpack and he's bombing up the bubble I'm right sure now. he does. He just feels that way to me. <laughs> but I don't know. You know the deal with this series. Unless... Karis LeVert scores 50, 60 points a couple times. Uh, I don't see this going past five. You know, I think the Nets have a chance to come out one game and, you know, score 140 points yeah. and just knock them out a little bit that way. But this is not an even series. We know it's not. Toronto is sharp and well-coached, and uh, Brooklyn plays Swiss cheese defense. So, so this isn't going to go very far. If they get two games, does Jacques Vaughn keep his job for next season, or is he out regardless, do you think? I think he keeps it anyway. Yeah? And you got Stan Van? Oh. No, dude. Honestly, Ty Lue in Brooklyn makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I could see it. I could see it. But I think, uh, uh, you know, the, that decision is up to Kyrie and KD. Yeah. You know that's true. So we'll see what they say this offseason. <laughs> All right, making our way up the bracket, probably the most interesting matchup. Actually, that's not true. The second most interesting matchup in the Eastern Conference, Celtics Sixers. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one to call. I just, without Ben Simmons, who's turned into, I mean, really, what, a dynamic defensive player, you know? Mm. Take away the three-point shot. Ben Simmons can basically defend one through five. He's become a top five, top ten defender in the league. So when you lose that ball handler, that playmaker, that defender um, against a team like Boston who has so many weapons, uh, I, I see it as being too big of a loss. Um, I can see some nice stretches where Embiid goes a little crazy, Harris goes a little crazy. The length with Feibel and Horford kind of gives them some problems. 
But uh, I don't see Philly taking more than two games of this, and I think Boston about six. You know, it's funny. I Whenever I talk about Philly, I always think, man, if they could have kept some of last year's team together. Well, like Jimmy Butler. <laughs> if, if, if they keep Jimmy and JJ together, that's yeah. a whole different team. Because when you lose yeah. Ben Simmons and the entire focus is on Joel Embiid, you need those shooters. JJ would have right. been perfect. But no, I I just think the Celtics are are too powerful right now. Even though that everyone's sexy pick for this tournament, um, I I don't think they have what it takes to go go the distance. But against a banged up Philly team for sure. And plus, I think if this is ugly, like if it get if it goes south quick, Brett Brown uh, may be taking a different plan home from the bubble. Yeah, no. If if they lose this series in five or six games, it's, it's the end of Brett Brown. And and by the end of this, it could be the end of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Yeah, exactly. It's, oh, man. It's, it's to that point now. Yeah. All right. Moving on up. Well, we brought up Jimmy Buckets before. Heat Pacers. Jimmy Butler versus TJ Warren. Part two. I am so ready for this one. Yeah. Honestly, with, you know, the the Pacers have looked uh, okay. Not, not bad, not good during the bubble. I really like this Heat team. I like them a lot. And it's not just because I, like, Jax has infected my mind working with him at Sirius every single Sunday. I think that, you know, the combination, uh, well, Spo in the playoffs, that's almost like having, like, an, an extra high-caliber player on your team. So with with Jimmy, Tyler Hero's been coming along, Bam, Kendrick Nunn, I, I just love this Heat team. Yeah, um, I think this, this could potentially be the most interesting series yeah. in the first round of the East. Um, I think Oladipo is going to come out good. Uh, they got that size with Turner. They have some young pieces. I, I think Indiana is going to going to run them well. Going to take a game or two. But Miami's they've been good in the bubble, and they're and they're pretty dynamic. I think as the playoffs go on, the teams with more options, you know, seem will do better and better. And Miami, with the way Bam is playing. Yeah, and the fact that you can give him the ball at the top, can run pick and rolls with like Duncan Robinson, this weird two man game that they got going on, um, all these options around the wings. Like, so I think uh, Miami is not only going to win this series, but I think they're going to be a danger to to any team in the East uh, oh, if they stay healthy. Unfortunately, if they win, they meet my Bucks in the second round, and that is not a matchup I want at all. Which brings us to you know, kind of the. I'm not going to say it's a foregone conclusion because I don't want to go on record of saying that in case the Magic somehow end up upsetting the Bucks in the first round. But Bucks Magic, honestly, this is the runway for Miami. You got to get ready for yeah. whatever this team can provide. Giannis has been frustrated, which scares the heck out of me. You don't want him frustrated in the vicinity of the Miami Heat where they can, you know, kind of start talking to him. Uh, thank God Golden State's not in this in this bubble because otherwise I'd be losing sleep every single night. But, but the Bucks do this. And I think that's one thing that everyone's got to remember about the Bucks and the Lakers is that they were seated. They were seated going into this. They're working on things. Guys weren't a hundred percent, you know, and it's easy to just jump on a Portland when these guys are playing for their lives yeah. every night. But I think Milwaukee does this to you in the last couple seasons. Every yeah. once in a while, they lull you to sleep a little you, and you think, oh, the Milwaukee thing, somebody broke it. Somebody got in there. Somebody, And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, no one could cover this. This is insane. And all of a sudden they're winning 
you know, 135 to 90 and Giannis is sitting in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot of that this series, uh, especially with even Orlando being a little banged up. Good for them for getting in. I mm. think Orlando's got a promising future. Um, love Jonathan Isaac. I don't even yeah. know if he's playing in this series. And uh, no, he's hurt. He tore his ACL. But, remember yeah, that? So, I mean, yeah. so there's no chance. Uh, yeah. And oh yeah, Isaac gone again. So, yeah. so yeah, I think uh, the Bucks are going to remind everybody why why they're the number one in this one. Well, they they kind of started to do that, reminding everybody why they're great against the Heat when they played them in that little runway game. But yeah, so. Looking like second round, we may have Bucks Heat, Celtics, Raptors, which, I mean, fun. out of the East, that's as much fun as you want. Fun. Let's go over to the Western Conference now. We'll get to my favorite matchup last, but let's start with Luka taking on the entire Clippers team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I think, I you know, I'm seeing a lot of, like, sweeps, five games. I do not see that. I really don't. I think with the way this is working out, I think Dallas – takes two of these games um and i think the clippers are still kind of in like warm-up land i think because of some of the injuries that they may not uh come out totally swinging yet and i think luca might pull off some magic i think the nba wants him to pull off some magic you might be seeing some very favorable calls and uh carlisle is a great playoff coach i think he'll put something together in a couple games to at least at least create a challenge and at least create some television to watch. That being said, uh, the Clippers, as we know, are a well-oiled machine yeah. in a lot of ways. And especially with, you know, I'm hearing some of the stats about like, oh, you know, when they're all playing, Patrick Patterson shoots 45% from three. <laughs> Michael Green shoots 44% from three. Reggie Jackson is all of a sudden a 40% plus three-point shooter. So, when this is going on, you know, they might be unstoppable. But I think it's going to be a little more of a series than I'm, than I'm seeing. Oh, absolutely not. Luka has had such a charmed two years in this league. This is when Luka becomes a man, okay? He's going to have, I mean, he's going to be double teaming the entire series. A behind-the-back pass down the lane only works if there's somebody that you can get it to and not cutting off the passing lanes. Luka's gonna, going to be seeing red, white, and blue all over, and I'm not talking about Serbia. <laughs> All right, next matchup, Nuggets-Jazz currently in progress as we record this. Nuggets, an interesting team. Michael Porter Jr., real breakout star of this bubble. The Jazz have Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan Mitchell has been the thorn in the side of the Nuggets. Really, this season and ever since Donovan Mitchell has kind of risen to prominence. This is a really interesting series. Benny, what's your take on this one? Well, I feel bad being a total pundit on this since <laughs> Game 1 results are in. Donovan Mitchell scored like 57 points and brought it to <laughs> overtime. So, yes, Donovan Mitchell's a problem. Um, and I do think people are getting a little fast with Michael Porter and things like that. Like, kid looks impressive, but, you know, everybody slow down about what we're seeing in, in a short glimpse in the bubble. Um, but I do think in the end, the Nuggets have a little too much talent and Jokic is too big of a beast that uh, – They'll end up pulling it off, but but as you saw today, it, it could wind up being a really tight series. The two-man game between Jokic and Porter has been so much fun to watch, and it's going to be yeah. interesting to see how they carry that in into next season. I definitely like the Nuggets here. Seems like the Jazz have kind of, you know, at least on the surface, gotten rid of their inner locker room problems between Gobert and Mitchell, so that's nice to see, but I just think that there's too much talent on the Nugget offense. 
Low-key underrated matchup up next. Rockets Thunder. I have a feeling I know the direction that Benny's going to go. Russell Westbrook to miss the first couple games. Uh, the Thunder playing as well as anybody. Benny, what's your take on this matchup? Uh, you know, instinctual. I, I get why everybody would lean towards the Thunder in a bunch of different ways. Um, but I think, I think the Rockets pull through in the end. Um, I do think it's one of those... Um, it's probably going to be the tightest series out of all eight. And I could see this one going to seven. I could see it bouncing back a bunch of different ways, but uh, don't you kind of foresee like it's going into the series that everybody's so high, Chris Paul and so low Russell Westbrook. And it kind of just eerily reminds me of every single time Chris Paul has brought me into a playoffs and then wound up just getting hurt for game five hurt for game six, not there at the end. Like, there's a reason he got traded. I know everybody's attention span is short, but something's going to happen to Chris Paul. He's not going to play seven games, and something's going to happen. And Harden, who is just an absolute monster offensively, we don't have to talk about that anymore. I think in the end, that, that's going to that's gonna overcome it. I love that we have the two most disappointing playoff players of the last 10 years going up against each other in a series. Something has to give. I like the co-NBA coach of the year in Billy Donovan and the pieces around your guy, Chris Paul, way better than the pieces around James Harden. Got to go with the Thunder. Going with the Thunder. Got to go with the Thunder. A little young. A little young. We'll see. Shea just Alexander this season has been playing out of his mind. Dennis Schroeder as as your six man is was a six man of the year candidate. I mean, the depth and lack of size of Houston is going to be a problem at some point in this playoffs, but probably during this series. I don't know, man. PJ Tucker is going to Ben Wallace this thing. <laughs> That'd be fun to watch. And then finally, oh man, these boys have been the talk of the town. Damian Lillard was the bubble MVP, though I don't know how that works because the bubble's not over yet and we already have a bubble MVP. I digress. That's a question for Adam Silver. Lakers-Blazers, that's the matchup. Blazers really banged up. CJ McCollum channeling his, his inner Mike Tyson, playing with a broken back. Don't know how much Gary Trent can give you. And also the 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 rise and fall of Carmelo Anthony. It's playoff time, so you know what side of Melo we're going to see. That's going home, Melo. Benny? What side of this matchup do you like? Lakers, Blazers? I mean, it's a great story. And the Blazers have been so much fun to watch. Dame is the biggest badass in the league. <laughs> Everybody knows it. So, listen, I'm not taking anything away from what those guys just did. But they're going to get come back down to earth real fast. I mean, did nobody watch them play defense either in the last two weeks? No. Not so good. Uh, they're too banged up. I can't imagine how exhausted they are going into this series where, you know, now all of a sudden you have to deal with, you know, LeBron and AD in the front court. So uh, I think it was a fun story. I truly enjoyed it. Um, but I don't think they stand a chance this series. And my favorite part of this series is we, for probably the last time ever, we get a LeBron Mello playoff series. So I, I hope we have more fun than we did during that Heat Knicks series. But yeah, no, I got to go with the Lakers here as well. I mean, I love this Blazers story. And maybe if if everything if they were healthy, if they weren't running out of gas, Terry Stotts has gotten the, a lot out of a little during this. Nurk can be inspired after losing his grandma. He went out for twenty one and twenty the other night. 
But I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're meeting up with Mr. Space Jam and the Brow himself. I think that's too much for the Blazers to overcome. Something I don't think people are talking about enough involving this is the emotional toll and the roster toll of this bubble. And the fact that because of those extra things involved, our whole sense of prediction and our predictive nature going into the playoffs and what we know of players and what we know of their emotional states and how they handle pressure, it's all out the fucking window. Yeah. And because of that, there will be a surprise. And there might be a number of surprises as a result. I mean, now you're getting to a point where it's uh, less like, you know, like the first week you do something new. It's kind of cool. And you get into your rhythm and everything's new and everything's fresh. But once you adapt into the situation, once you start to get comfortable with your day-to-day, being in a hotel room every day with no access to anything else is boring as fuck. <laughs> I've done it. I've lost my mind in hotels in like under three days, let alone weeks, where you know if you don't have a game, especially in this playoff scenario, and it's a couple days lapsing where all you're doing is getting a drink at the bar or meeting someone up for food or playing some video games again for the 10th day in a row, missing your family, ex- so many variables going into this that I think some people you've grown accustomed to counting on will be worse than they normally are. And some people you didn't know had a lot of heart and moxie, all of a sudden you're going to see it. So I think people aren't talking enough about the actual situation that's happening and what can happen to a person inside of that. And that person has to go play a game. (laughs) So if somebody is just ruined on the inside, has no spirit, has no energy, you know, they're going to suffer for it. So I think because of that, you're going to see some pretty um, unorthodox performances from some players and, and people really going off the back of their basketball card because you can't count on anything right now. And not to bring this back to Giannis, but I mean, He's had an entire career. He's only ever gotten into one kerfuffle, and that was against the Chicago Bulls in the playoffs in the first round a couple years ago. But to headbutt a player in, not to say it's a meaningless game, but I think there's a lot going on with him. There's a a whole refugee crisis in Greece where the Greece government is just dumping refugees into the middle of the Mediterranean. Um, He's got... he just had a kid, so a lot of things going on in his head probably, and not to mention actually having to play a game of basketball. So honestly, yeah. I'm really worried about Giannis's mental well-being, not just because I'm a fan of the Bucks, but because it's like he's still young. He's still like yeah, this isn't kid. this he's isn't guaranteed kid. for him yet. Yeah, yeah, these are kids, man. That's what I'm saying. Like to say that we're gonna know how people react to this situation over a number of time. We we don't. All right, Benny. Just to wrap this up. I know this is the most unpredictable playoffs of all time, but who do you see coming out of the East and who's coming out of the West? Oh, we're going big, right? Yeah, we're going big. Everything on the I table. Didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. We were, well, I'm still sticking with my initial Eastern pick because I don't want to back off from it yet. The Toronto Raptors are still my team to come out of the East, and I am still begrudgingly, more begrudgingly, going to stick with the Lakers as my team out of the West. I'm getting more and more and more nervous about that prediction because 
the, the more I read and see about the Clippers kind of gelling together freaks me out. But I'm trying to disregard the last eight games as far as the Lakers are concerned because I think you're going to see a different Lakers once this playoff starts. So I'm sticking with my original predictions, Raptors-Lakers. I love it. I love it. Well, I also am sticking with my original prediction, even though I feel awful about this. Given the fact that we really haven't seen the Bucks or the Lakers play well in this bubble. I mean, like we've seen glimpses, but we haven't seen the whole thing put together. If we still have Bucks Lakers in October, that would be a huge surprise to me. But that's what I'm banking on right now. Yeah. And just about what you just talked about before, we're only in like the first five weeks of this. There are more months of this Disney bubble to go. So Honestly, I feel like the psychological tolls, they better have like sports therapists in there because a lot of these guys are going to need someone to talk to. Listen, they, I don't know, they might have to change that Instagram model rule just to try to prevent some PTSD or something. <laughs> oh, man. Because it's true, man. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the one thing, the one thing we got to talk about, it's like the silent thing that nobody talks about. There's got to be so much fucking weed in the bubble, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe. I can't imagine <laughs> the kinds of uh, hot boxes going on at the, you know, Prince Meridian Hotel or something like that. The staff is just walking by being like, ooh, if this was a Disney day, we'd have to call the cops. But yeah, I, th- I think, you know, there's a lot of boxes showing up at the bubble. It's pretty easy to ship something in there, you know? Yeah. And especially. Who do you think the biggest piehead in the NBA is? Oof. I mean, I want to go Lou Will or Patrick Beverly, but I have a feeling like Boban. I was <laughs> Beverly is way too worked up, man. That guy doesn't. Oh smoke. man, dude, yeah, he's too you worked never know. up. That, that Cali stuff hits different. You know this. He's, he's too worked up. He's too worked up. I don't think so. I think it'd be someone surprised, like like JJ on Rush. the sly, like Jimmy Butler would be like, "Yo, Duncan Robinson could roll the mean blunt." <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. Brand new answer. I know exactly who it is. Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it. I can see it. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, if you want to send us stuff or hit us up, you can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the tuneuphq. If you want to get in contact with the big man, you can follow him at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, got anything else? Everybody love everybody. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.